0: When the kings were afraid their soldiers might die of thirst, they sought the mysterious miracle worker, hoping for help. Instead of a promise of rain, Elisha told them to make the valley full of ditches and wait. Grab your shovels and get ready to grow with ridiculous faith. Elijah, a tale of ridiculous... Faith. I am so ready to preach today. Are you guys ready to receive God's word? I felt that (laughs) love. Welcome to week uh, two. This is the second week of our four part message series. As we're looking at the Old Testament prophet known as Elisha, S H A. If you missed last week, we talked about burning our plows. Everyone find a plow to burn last week? Hopefully. It shouldn't be too hard to find, those plows, man. You've got to burn them, leaving behind anything that would keep us from following God and, and moving ahead in our faith. Last week we burned plows. Today, get out your shovels. We are digging ditches. Now we're digging ditches. Um, I want to give credit to uh, Stephen Furtick, he uh, is the pastor, I referenced him last week I'm using his book as inspiration for this message series And uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it Um, It's one that will really build your faith Um, It's called Greater And, uh, And so I'm using it to reference throughout this four week message series And uh, truly, I am asking God my prayer for this week. Um, I'm going to the Lord and asking God to continue to build our faith as a church for it to be greater than it has ever been. Because we know without faith is impossible to please God. You have to have faith. So today, before we dive in, I'm wondering how many of you have have played the if-only Game And and before I explain it, uh, you think if only I had, you know, such and such, uh, life would be better, it'd be easier, you know, I'd be happier. Uh, How many of you ever played that game if only I had the, the better job? You know, if only, if only, there's too many smiles going up. Yeah, I play that all the time. You know, if only I had more money. You know, if only I had more hair, you know, maybe in the right places, it's growing here and here, but starting to, you know, I'm starting to lose it here, you know, if only God would answer this one prayer, right? I just got this one prayer, if only God, you would answer this one prayer, some lady might say, you know, if only I had a husband, you know, or or another one would be, you know, if only I had a husband that had a, a job, you know? Another, someone else might say, if only I had a husband with a job that looked like Brad Pitt, you know, I I don't know what it might be, your if only uh, for you, but throughout life we we all recognize that that we have these needs, right? And we tend to think, if only, if only I had whatever it is, you know, life would be so much better, it would be just so much easier. And so what I want to do today is I want to encourage you to listen to this message through the lens of of what your greatest need is. Okay, you're going to see on the back of your bulletin, on your notes, what is your greatest need? Maybe think about that for a second and put it down. So I want you to go through today's lesson with the lens of whatever your greatest need is. And we're going to experience the teaching of God's words through the lens of that need. And so it's my prayer, you know, that God would minister to you in a very, very special way today. Um, Let me set the context for our study, and then we're going to go through and look at our main thought. At the context of our study, we're going to see that there were these three kings who, they came together and they joined forces to do battle against the Moabites. And it, it was three against one. And they thought, this should be easy right? Uh, We'll have a very decisive victory, the three of us against one. But often in life, things do not go as they were planned, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? You think you got it all figured out and then, oops, didn't work out quite as I had planned. It it looked pretty easy. Things were set up and things didn't turn out the way we thought. And that's what happened with these three kings. Instead of winning easily, they find their troops marching around for seven days, And they are completely out of water. They're about ready to die of thirst. The animals are going to die of thirst. And so they have a significant need. And, And this story is going to teach us this very important principle. And we have an introduction principle today, if you're taking notes. And I believe this will be good news to many of you. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Let me say this again, because when you experience this, this is absolutely life-changing. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. So let's read our text, and, and, and we'll let it bring to light this very uh, powerful truth we're going to start in 2 Kings, chapter 3, and we'll read verses 9 through 12 to get us going. Here's what verse 9 says. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. This would be our three kings. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. They're in trouble. What, explained the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? In other words, we thought we would win easily, but now it looks like we're going to be destroyed. Not quite what we had, not quite what we thought of or what we had planned. But Jehoshaphat, one of the kings, asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elijah, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour out water on the hands of Elijah. So, if you missed last week, Elijah mentored Elisha. And if you know anything about the prophet Elijah, when the nation was in great drought, you know, he called on God, and God sent rain from a cloud that started the size of a hand, and it brought one of the biggest storms from the smallest clouds. And they're thinking, well, if Elijah did that, maybe Elisha can help us as well. Jehoshaphat said. The word of the Lord is with Elijah. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, let's make sure we all know what's going on here. Now, the three kings are are going to go to battle against the Moabites, and they believe they're going to win easily, but it doesn't go down quite as they had planned. And now they find themselves in the big danger, right? They're out of water. Now, what you may not know is, is that these three kings... These three kings are not serving God. They, they were not even seeking God. And all of a sudden, they're in trouble and they do what a lot of us do, right? All of a sudden you get in trouble and you're like, Uh-oh, uh, uh, God, right? Uh, God, we're in trouble. Oh yeah, God. Can you, can you do us a solid and, and help your people out? And so they said, is there anybody who's like really in good with God here? Anyone who might, you know, do a little rain dance for us, you know, pull some spiritual strings for us? And, And they said, oh yeah, there's Elijah, that prophet, you know, maybe he can help us out. And surely they had heard already about these great miracles that Elijah was already doing. It's his rookie year as being a prophet. If you're doing the Bible plan uh, or, or done any reading in the Kings, uh, the, script, the scripture states that he had already separated the Jordan. <coughs> he divided the Jordan River. No small feat. Uh, that's pretty ridiculous. He had immense powers that God had blessed them with. Uh, another time he had spoke to the uh, polluted water, the spring water there. You, you, you drink the water and you die. Uh, they had everything else except for the clean water and he speaks to it and cleaned this undrinkable water and the water became you know healthy and became good another thing he did is when some boys were making fun of him because evidently he didn't have a lot of hair and the boys were called them baldy 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 anyone go through that ever baldy 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 now elijah turns around and the bible says he summoned two she bears and they came out of the woods and they they mauled this group of boys that's in your bible I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. You should read your Bibles. And you should never make a fun, fun of someone that's a baldy. Because you never know how much faith they might have and how close bears are. You just don't do that. And, and so back to the kings, they're like, Oh, Elijah, can you please help us out? And what do you think he's going to do? Uh, I'll tell you what Elijah does. He actually cops in attitude that's what he's gonna do he's like okay okay i get it boys so you want to ignore god and now you're in trouble and you want me to get you some god action is that right is that what you guys want did i hear that right and so if you read this before you know he's like well uh, i'm gonna mess with you a bit here and 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 god's great prophet he he just cops an attitude on these guys you might be thinking you know Where on earth did he get this from? And honestly, he learned it from Elijah. All right? He was the king of attitudes. Okay? One time, Elijah, his mentor, you might remember this, he challenged the the false prophets. Uh, He went up to those 450 false prophets who who worshiped the the God Baal. And and he said, Boys, let's have a little contest here. You know, let's see how big your God really is is uh you know go get two bull, uh, bulls you kill one i'll kill one we'll, we'll make the altars and you call on your god to send fire down from heaven and if your god doesn't and my god does then you worship my god if your god does and, and my god doesn't well we'll worship your gods you know a good little face off let's go boys you know bring it on and, and so it, it, these false prophets they call on their god you know, send fire, send fire, they're going crazy. They're cutting themselves. They're going nuts, calling and screaming, looking for, for their God, Baal, to come down and, and show the great power of Baal. And these false prophets, they they just keep calling on them and nothing's happening. And and Elijah, he's back there, he's laughing, he's chilling out, Um, i got to show you this, you probably don't believe me, it's right in scripture here, and and Elijah began to taunt them, and he's like, uh, shout louder, surely he is a god, and and then he he suggests, Perhaps he's in a, a deep thought, you know, or he's busy, or, or, or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, and, and you got to wake him up, yell louder. I mean, are you kidding me? You can't make this stuff up. And so Elijah does what Elijah did. He plays with this attitude. Watch this play out. In verse 13, Elijah said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? You guys have been ignoring God all this time. Now you want me to call on him. He goes, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Can you hear the attitude here? He's bringing your mama into it. You know the mama jokes, right? Your mama's the prophet. Why don't you go to your mama, all right? Why are you trying to involve me? Now, don't tell me God does not have a sense of humor here. I'm sorry, I mean... This time in history for God's people is really just just sad. But God's words here is a pastor's dream to, to keep his flock in caves. I mean, this is fun. You guys having fun? I mean, I don't want to have fun by myself. Your mama's a prophet. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, I grew up bored in church. You know, I, I'm not bored today. I, I'm going to have fun with or without you guys, so I suggest you join in. And, and so he goes on. He says, call the prophets of your mother. You know, no, the king of Israel answered. Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elijah said, now watch this. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. um, In other words, boys, you're not serving him, uh, but I am. Uh, I just want to put that little dig in there. Surely the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve. If I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. So he's saying to the two kings, okay, Jehoshaphat, he's not serving God, but he did at one time fear God. And so if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even have time to pay attention to you guys, you other two. And that's what I think about you two. Okay? It's like, you need a prophet, I'm your prophet. But I have a demand. Elijah says, bring me, a harpist <laughs> okay boys if you want me to to prophesy I'm gonna need some music you know to call upon the Lord bring me a harpist go get me the, the biggest most difficult <laughs> instrument to move it and, and bring it right in here get someone who's good at playing and, and play me some music is this not ridiculous you might be thinking by now this is a prophet of God Sounds kind of demanding and, and wow. Uh, but the reality is this wasn't an uncommon practice for for prophets to do. And, you know, there, there's something about when, when you worship God... Through music and he inhabits it he he fills it up with the praises of his people you know for those of you who love to to worship God you, you know there's something just special that happens when your your heart drifts towards him in adoration and, and in praise just worship in fact when I prepared this mess uh, this message you know and, and other messages I'm often lifting some worship music it just it really helps me connect with God And when I am praying, a lot of times when I am driving back from Peterborough, if I drop my son off for school and driving back, it's a great time to put on the music. It lets me connect with the Lord, and I am praying. And all of a sudden, next you know, I am weeping. Right? I (laughs) am just, I am crying to just filled with joy. And there is just something about music, you know, worship that that really helps you connect. And so, that's what Elijah does here. He's like, you know, play the harp, you know. And and so, the three kings are there, and they're like, okay, he's going to give us this direction, or or God's going to just send down a whole bunch of, you know, water coolers, you know, water bubblers, and maybe cups, and he's going to tell us, you know, God is going to send the rain, you know, I can feel the music playing, here we go, this is going to be good, and what does he do? Does he bring them a word of encouragement? No. He gives them a ridiculous command. Verse 15 and 16. Then it happened. When the music played, then the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Huh? Wait. What? I thought God was going to make it rain and we're going to take our shoes off and run through all the puddles and get plenty of what? Are you telling me when my troops are about to die, my animals are about to die, that you want them to do manual labor under the hot desert sun? Yeah, I want you to dig some ditches but there's no sign of of rain anywhere here. We're we're in a severe drought. Yeah, yeah, I know, but God wants you to dig some ditches. And we're going to see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Verse 17, For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Verse 18, this is kind of cocky, he says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, you have no idea how powerful, how strong, how mighty my God is. At the snap of a finger, God can do this. This is easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And oh, by the way, you know that little other thing that you wanted? Yeah, he's going to do that as well. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. But first, I want you to dig some ditches. So there's the context of our story And what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to try to apply this directly into our lives. You know, what does this mean for us today? And and before we do, I I want you to jot this thought down. Just somewhere in your notes, maybe you can find a spot there. This kind of came on to me a little bit after we got the bulletin done. The Lord uh, works that way sometimes. And I just want you to write this down. Faith that works. We're going to call this like our subtitle for today's message. If you could just write that down. Faith that works. Can everyone say that with me? Faith that works. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about faith that works. Now, there's a play on words here that is intentional. I'm talking about faith that is effective. In other words, faith that that moves the heart of God and invokes a, a response from God. Uh, I talk about faith that works, and then at the same time, I'm not just talking about faith that's effective, but I'm also talking about a faith that is active. Faith that works, faith that does something. Faith that so believes that God is going to act, that we act, and take a step towards God. Believing that God is going to take care of us, and so we, we take that step towards him. So let's get to our two principles and that's going to help lead us into faith that works. The first one, and (laughs) this is so good, I I don't know if you're going to be able to contain yourself. It, It gets me really excited here. If you're taking notes, here it is. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Let me say it again because I don't think you guys are too excited about this. Okay, here we go. You're excited. You're in God's presence. Here we go. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. That's something to get excited about, right? <laughs> Here's what James says in chapter 2, verse 26. For just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Amen. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he, he wants to see your faith. He wants you to dig the ditch. Do you really think that God of the universe needed these boys out there in the hot sun on the, on the edge of death, digging ditches? God didn't, God didn't need that. God can do anything. God can be like, let there be ditches everywhere. And do you see that? Ditches, lakes, oceans, boom. I mean, God can do that. He didn't need them to go out there digging the ditches. But instead, it's almost as if he's saying, you show me your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness, servant. Because God loves to see our faith. We see this all over the New Testament. Again and again, the Bible says, say, when Jesus saw their faith. How do you see faith? You know, if I'm sitting here praying and and I'm praying real hard, can you see my faith? Do Do you see the faith smoke coming up off my head while I'm praying? You don't see that. God sees our faith in action. Last week when I related Peter getting out of the boat to the one word when Jesus calls on him, Jesus says, come. What does Peter have to do? He has to get out of the boat. Right? He has to get out of the boat. He has to physically get out of the boat. That's when you see faith. Okay? The the, the 11 other boys, did did you see their faith? No. Peter got out of the boat. You could see that faith. And I believe that there are many times where God wants us to participate in his miracle. Right? It's still his miracle, but he wants us to participate in it. Again and again, the Bible, we see examples of this. There's the guy with with the, the withered hand. You know, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. In other words, I can heal you, but I want to see you believe it. Stretch out your hand. What could Jesus have done? Jesus could have just been like, Jesus power, right? And it's healed. He could have done that, but instead he says, I'm going to heal you, but I want to see your faith stretch out your hand. In John chapter 5, you remember that the lame man, he's laying by the pool, He's been crippled for, for 38 years. Jesus looks at him and he says, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. I want to see your faith, your faith to believe that what I said is true. Get up. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Another one, there, were, there was the man who, who was blind from birth. Remember the story and Jesus goes, he picks up some dirt and he spits it in and he rubs it together and makes a little mud pie out and covers the guy's eyes. And Jesus says, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Go, wash your eyes. In other words, I'm going to do my part. I want to see you do your part. You show me your faith and I will show you my faithfulness. Without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. And I believe there are just too many times that we're just waiting on God for that miracle. When He wants us to get out of the boat. You want to heal a relationship that's gone bad? Maybe you forgive that someone before they've even asked you to be forgiven. Or you treat someone with love when all they've done is is they've been ugly to you your whole life. What kind of world would that make for us to live in? And along the way, you're digging a ditch. How about this? And, and I know so many of us pray for this. We, we want so badly for, for our children to find Jesus, to, to be a strong Christian, yet we won't open up the Bibles in front of them or, or pray with them or, or half the time we're walking around miserable or, or depressed. We need to be able to find ways to be creative and, and to share the gospel with our kids or our loved ones. You know, do you pray with your children? Have you shared a, a miracle with them? that God has done in your life. It's like, you want some water, keep praying, but while you're praying, start digging your ditch. How about this? And we've all struggled with this at one point or another. If only I had more money, right? Or if only, If only I had, if only I had. And yet with the money, you know, we barely tithe. It's a real challenge. Now God gives us this, this ridiculous principle, yes, to... to the human mind and and to the earthly standards is completely ridiculous. And that is, if we give him our first and our best, that he will bless the rest. And those of you that are tithers, you know the supernatural power of God. My father just shared that 90% with his blessing goes further than 100% without every day of the week. It's crazy, but it's true. And yet when we follow his commands, what are you doing? You're digging a ditch. You're putting your faith into action. When you feel like you need more and you're faithfully giving to God, you watch as he proves himself faithful. Sometimes you've got to dig that ditch. Someone help me out with this one. Only God can send the water, but he wants you to dig a ditch. The second principle, if you are taking notes, real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. And I, I know this sounds a lot, sort of like our last series, but I intentionally left this section out because too many of us Christians, we not thinking big enough. We serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, more than we can even think or imagine. It's time to think big. We serve that big of a God. And at the same time, we are willing to start with those small things that we talked about. Think about this. How would the the king's men had dug a ditch back then? They've got their little, pretty awful, spaded, called a shovel and they had to dig some ditches and you start one little piece of dirt at a time we didn't have any dwayne's equipment to borrow sorry if we're doing it today it's a little easier back then when they had to dig the ditch it wasn't so easy but it's that one little shovel load out at a time what do you do you start small you start small Let's revisit this great verse in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 when he said, Do not despise these small beginnings. And this is the best part, for the Lord rejoices to see that work begin. I mean, if that doesn't encourage you, I mean, we're looking at these mountains, right? And they're like, how can I do this? This is so big, this is so large, I can't do this. You know, where do I even start? But the Lord rejoices to see you just make that small start that's in front of you. Sometimes you just have to start small. And there may be some of you that got that big vision, and you're like, where am I going to start, though? You're going to start small. You're going to start with what's in front of you. You're going to be faithful with what God has given you. You're going to start small. In fact, I want to share this incredible story to kind of wrap things up here. This is a real-life story of a man named Richard Neal. And Richard was a normal guy who sometimes attended church in his hometown of Tennessee, but he stopped attending over those last few years. This is back in, in 2010, and he struggled with his faith. In fact, he really didn't have too much. There was also another problem. He was 25 years old, and Richard weighed 426 pounds. He couldn't really fit in any of the seats at church. The bench he was worried would break. And getting into a vehicle was becoming almost impossible. And so Richard makes this appointment. He goes to see his doctors. And the doctor told him, Richard, if you don't lose this weight, you can forget about having kids. This big dream of yours, it's not going to happen. And Richard, you will not live to see 30 years old. You're in real bad health. And so Richard decided he was going to try to get back and, and, and start by going to church. But one Sunday when he showed up, he managed to get himself there, get in the car, get out of the car, get there. He was all of a sudden overcome with this fear and he was so nervous to go inside. He was worried about so many things so he's just left out there sitting in the parking lot afraid and seemingly alone. He heard a voice on the inside that said, I can't fix your outside until you let me fix your inside. And so Richard got up that day He walked into church and he gave his life to Christ that day. And God started to do work on the inside. Well, after services, Richard went home and he did what he normally did he binged ate a couple boxes of cereal. But after that, he put in his very first workout DVD. And he completed his first ever workout DVD. This was the small step that was in front of him. Richard made this one small step. And if he had thought about all that weight, over 250 pounds that he needed to lose, he would have given up that day. But faithfully, he finished his one workout. Later, that one workout became two, and then three in a week, and then four. Richard was being faithful in the small things, the things that he could control. One year went by, he was doing really well. He was attending church and and working out six days a week, and Richard had some spiritual momentum we talked about last week, getting yourself spiritually ready. And so he was getting involved in this, and he had some spiritual momentum. He had made so much progress that he decided he was going to enter this CrossFit competition that was done locally. First place prize was $100,000. This is just after one year, barely one year, of the 426-pound man. Here is a picture of Richard and his transformation. This is 18 months. You'll see the, the newspaper article. He, he got invited to Good Morning America and stuff. He, he went on to win the CrossFit competition. He lost 242 pounds in 18 months. Here is a guy that made a big change. Yeah? (laughs) But he was willing to start small. Every day for 18 months, Richard started small, but at the end of the 18 months, he had just made this huge change, physically and spiritually. Now, Richard actually travels the world. He travels the United States and helps other people to realize to do big things, you have got to start small. And he talks to them about his love for Jesus and and how much Jesus had impacted his life. And it's just an incredible, incredible example. And I want to encourage you to think big but be willing to start small in whatever that is. That first shovel in. I want to encourage you to to dig that ditch because only God can send the water but he wants you to be digging the ditches. You pray boldly, God, I believe that you can and then you start wherever you are, however small that might seem because faith without works is absolutely dead. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 20 finishes our story. It says this, the next morning, about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, You ready? There it was. After they faithfully dug the ditches, the Bible says, water was flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Some of you right now, you have that significant need of that first line that's in your life, and you think, if only God would do this for me. Right. If only God would answer this, this one prayer. But please don't forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Because only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I pray for a church full of people who will think big, but will start small, believing by faith long before there's that cloud in the sky or any sign of water, that if I'll dig that ditch, God is faithful enough to send that water. I invite you to please stand, and our brother Don will give the invitation today. God bless all of you.